You are listening to Fanfare Tracks. Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark Wolcaster. That's not true. That's impossible. You're listening to Making Tracks. This is episode 99. I'm your co-host, Mark Newbold, and joining me today is a man who, if he was lost in the galaxy and didn't know how to get home, he'd find a way just so he could shout, it's coming home. Hello, Mark. How are you doing? I'm sore today. Yesterday, I was out with the 501st UK Garrison in my Boba Fett costume. We were at Hemel Hempstead, and we were taking over the um, like the main shopping centre there with um, the heroes and villains. I don't know what you'd really say. It's not really. It's not Comic Con. It's just like a, an event where they kind of have like movie cars and stuff like that, film characters. So we had members from, like I said, the 501st UK Garrison, and also their sister club, which is Real Icons, which deals with all non-Star Wars iconic movie characters. So my girlfriend Karen was uh, dressed up as Black Widow and we had a fantastic Captain America and that. But yeah, this morning, my, my shoulders are sore from that jetpack. Haven't spent most of the day without hanging off my shoulders. It's uh, I need to rethink my life, I think, and see if I can get a, a slightly lighter alternative than my fiberglass one i don't know maybe maybe i have to look at a 3d printing one or something but yes it was fantastic great little time out how are you dude how's how's things in your world and your life in star wars oh my life in star wars is good it's been a good week comics come in from automatic comics matt our fellow fanther sent me a bunch of stuff so that's there to be read and reviewed which i'm very much looking forward to and other odds and sods as we say have come into the collection which is nice other than that yeah it's been it's been quite a week i've had quite a week Long story short, I got rushed into hospital on Wednesday with a stomach ulcer, which was not fun. Oh, no. Change of diet, new meds, a few changes ahead, but all positive. So yeah, can't grumble really on the face of it. I picked up a nice dinky little um, Rawcliffe pewter outrider. It was from 97, 98. Um, Rawcliffe did a a range of OT and then they did some prequel pewter kind of figures which are only inch or so inch and a half tall kind of like Lego bigger size and the ships are basically some of them are similar kind of size they do bigger ones as well but um, I've kind of picked those up over the years because they're quite nice and neat and you know you can stick them in little gaps in the yeah. you know in shelves and stuff so that's cool finally I got my 40th anniversary edition of the Empire Strikes Back souvenir book from titan which has been delayed and delayed and delayed like 20 billion times from like last year when it should have come out so it's it's taken basically a whole year of delays but it's finally landed on my doorstep so i'm quite excited to sit down maybe this afternoon and uh get a chance to fun through that so you've had a good week yeah i've had a great week but the main thing is you're on the mend otherwise it's me talking to myself and i don't think people want to listen to that really do they so <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we'll never find out. We've got yeah. loads to talk about. We've got loads to talk about this week. Book of Boba Fett. Tamura Morrison. He's been talking yes. about the show again. Mm-hmm. He dribbles out these little lines here and there. Doesn't give much away because he's, you know, he's a smart guy, and as we've said before, he knows where the snipers are. He drops little nuggets here and there, and the one that he dropped most recently when talking to the Express, the Daily Express, their website was that he did mention that in relation to Book of Boba Fett, there's a bunch of directors come on board. And he actually says, we've got some great directors on board. Robert Rodriguez, we, we knew that. He's kind of the showrunner and guy behind it. John Favreau, Bryce Dallas Howard, Dave Filoni. 
it's a, just a new world. It's a new world. They like to keep the Star Wars stuff under lock and key. So basically... Yeah, he's the exec producer on this. Um, bit like with Mandalorian, um, you've got these other directors kind of coming in and doing a single episode and stuff like that. But I'm guessing he's either directing or has kind of creative control over line share of the of the overall series. So Tamira does go on to say about it, and I quote, it's in the timeline of the Mandalorian, so I guess we've got to go back and see. And he's referring to the fact that obviously, you know, what things are going to be revealed and stuff like that. But the fact is, it's kind of confirmation of of things that we've talked about. And I think we talked about last week about the Book of Boba Fett being the Mandalorian season two point five, as people are referring to it. So the fact is that actually, yeah, it's, it sounds like it's going to be kind of closely related. Hopefully, it means it's going to be closely linked as well. Yeah, I think stylistically as well as, as story-wise, but also those that bunch of directors. I mean, Rodriguez came in in season two, but Favreau, Bryce, Filoni, obviously all season one as well. So it seems to me, well, it's quite evident that Filoni and Favreau keep anything Mando-related really close to their chest. They're completely in charge of that part of the Star Wars storyline in terms of wanting to keep a thematic a uh, stylistic flow, keep things feeling and looking the same. And also they've got a group of people there they can trust. It feels to me like Book of Boba Fett's a one season show. It's a one off thing. Mm. Like like the Marvel shows, a lot yeah. of them are just one season, that's it. Instead of doing it as a movie, let's do it as a season of a TV show. Use the people that you know, the people that the actors are familiar with as well. It just feels like they're keeping it really close to the chest. I think that's a really good thing, don't you? Yeah, massively. I really think that what they're doing is with repeating the same actors, it's not probably only just a case of their trusted hand, but also they're kind of familiar with everything as well. I'm sure there's probably loads of directors that they possibly could kind of get in, but it's also, I suppose, you've got to, for lack of a better term, break them in, you know, break them into how Lucasfilm is doing stuff and and the expectations of what is, you know, required from them as a director. They can work in a nice, harmonious kind of way with the other directors. I mean, what's interesting actually with Robert Rodriguez was the episode that he directed, the, was it chapter, was it 11 or 12? Yeah. It had his hallmarks all over it in terms of the action style. So it'll be really interesting to see how how much of that translates into the book of Boba Fett. Is that something that we're going to kind of see a whole new like language of fighting and, and action scenes that we haven't necessarily seen before in Star Wars? Was it, Is he going to have to dial some of that stuff back? Partly because I guess of the, uh, the age rating we're going to want to be kind of shooting for for this series. Definitely a consistency of style between all the different episodes, regardless of director. But yeah, you're right. His episode, that action did have that fast-paced moving kind of style that he does didn't it? it had that flair but also i think that's also the probably the influence as well of working with tamara i think you know there was definitely hints of his maori fighting yeah. style i'm guessing tomorrow really wanted to lend to the character and and i think it kind of worked you know it's really exciting i think to see what's going to happen with a series and, and I, i'm guessing a bit like does this just kind of scratch an itch it's a book of boba fett scratching that itch and kind of almost put into bed the fact that we didn't get a boba fett film back with uh, josh trang you know, back in 2016, 2017, when, you know, it was rumoured that he was going to be directing. It does feel like Fett, as a project, as a, either, either a film or a TV show, he's unfinished business. And it's money on the table because yeah. there's such a huge interest in the character. I know some, some mm. fans are a bit tired of that and want to move on to new stuff, but let's put a bow on it if we want to do it in that way. And, and if Fett now becomes an, an occasional character or a, a comic and book character primarily, fine, because there's other stories to tell. But yeah, I think this show's needed, definitely. Hi, this is John Morton from The Empire Strikes Back. I'm Dak Rotha, or Bespin Boba, and you're listening to Fantha Tracks. 
So this Friday just gone, Hasbro Pulse released three new figures and sets, all available later in the year on Hasbro Pulse in the States, Canada, and here in the UK. There's some very, very cool stuff coming here. The first one is the Black Series 6-inch Trapper Wolf figure. If you've ever wanted a dinky, dinky little Dave Filoni to play with, he hasn't got his hat, but he's got a helmet. Here he is. Looks absolutely fantastic. They couldn't have got a better likeness to Filoni. What did he make of this figure, Mark? Because this one's definitely going to be in my collection, totally. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, a friend of mine was like, can you make sure you get me one as well? Because uh, I want to 3D print a cowboy hat. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. I said, tell you what, if I get you the figure, you've got to uh, 3D print me a, a hat <laughs> and maybe I'll get a couple of versions so I can kind of crack one out of the packet. It looks pretty much spot on from what we saw in the Mandalorian Season 2 because there was a difference in the flight suit between season one and season two in case you didn't pick that up in season one they were kind of wearing the more kind of shiny glossy rogue one era flight suits and then they transitioned back into the more traditional ot era cotton flight suits for season two he also got like a repainted helmet in season two as well which has got his hallmark wolves on it so yeah this looks like a great little figure to have actually tell you what though it also does kind of scream out and i think we're begging for a um a two-pack between wolf and uh his his uh his yeah that would be a cracking little celebration exclusive that should be shouldn't it yeah exactly like um you know those those vintage two-packs that they've been putting out you know they had the, the afro one and the like the luke yeah. skywalker one and that so that would be quite cool this is definitely one to be picking up it's got a really nice artwork again which is what we're starting to kind of expect now from a black series this is a cracker yeah, but in that deluxe box looks fantastic goes nicely with the cad bane one that came out not that long ago the armor there's a few that have come out in that in that packaging looks really really nice next yeah. up a black series play set which is quite unusual power of the force mm. packaging cantina showdown so it's uh Dr. Evazan, Ponda Barber, Obi-Wan Kenobi, around the bar in the cantina, that classic scene from Star Wars. Loads of pictures on Fanthatrax if you want to go and check it out. You know, I didn't think this would attract me at all because, um, you know, Black Series is cool and I pick bits as and when I see them and like them, but this is quite enticing. I might just have to be uh, making room for this one. Yeah, me too. And the reason why is because it's that Power of the Force 2 green yeah. lightsaber box packaging, which um, for me is basically what I, you know, I, I first started picking up as, as a collector. That was what was around. And in fact, I've got that original free pack somewhere floating around my collection room there's like a nostalgia there and you know it's again it's got the the 50th lucasfilm anniversary logo on it but other than that i think the packaging looks pretty much the same as it did only bigger from the original three and three quarter inch range and the third and final piece out of this batch of releases was from the vintage collection the emperor's throne room i'm getting this the packaging it's so evocative of what came out back when Jedi came out. It's just got that. Obviously, it's the vintage collection, so it's it's totally aping that look. But this looks like something that should have sat in my collection 35, 36 years ago. You've got the Emperor's chair. You've got the Death Star window, if you want to call it that, that the Emperor sits and looks out of. Yeah. It's, it's very much a display piece, I would say. It just looks fantastic. Again, comes out through mm. Hasbro Pulse later on uh, in 2021. Absolutely gorgeous. What do you think? Um, one thing it evoked with me was, um, again, from like 96, 97 era, was applause. They made a Clash of a Jedi diorama, which was basically, it was Luke and Vader facing off in front of that window. But it's something about that window that is so iconic 
to me just screams a return yeah. of a Jedi. So having that and having the Emperor and he's he comes with accessories such as lightning, which of course every good Sith Lord needs, and also Luke Skywalker's lightsaber hilt, so you can really have some fun and it's definitely lending itself uh, a diorama. I think it's definitely worth I think probably getting this one, cracking out of a box and then picking up a Jedi Luke and a and a Jedi Vader and kind of like setting the scene because I think it's going to be a nice little kind of display piece. All those pictures are out on Fantasy Tracks right now. Head to the site, get your orders in. All three are out. Fall 2021. Did you hear that? That is the sound of a thousand people's bank balances crying in unison. <laughs> Fantatrax. The Mandalorian's been very fortunate to receive a lot of nominations earlier on in the year and picked up quite a few wins along the way. It's picked up four more nominations at the Hollywood Critics Association Television Awards. Say that three times when you're drunk. Uh, Pedro Pascal has been nominated for Best Actor, Ming-Na Wen for Best Supporting Actress, Giancarlo Esposito, Best Supporting Actor, and The Mandalorian itself for Best Streaming Series. Now, they've all got some stiff competition in the Best Streaming Series Drama category. They're up against Bridgerton, The Boys, The Crown, The Handmaid's Tale, and Servant. It's some hefty competition, but... Mark, what do you think? Do you think Mando's going to walk away with some awards this year? Yeah, definitely. Like you said, stiff competition, but I think they've got a good fighting chance, really. I haven't seen all those series that they've nominated for Best Streaming Series, so I can't really kind of comment to say whether or not they work. But the thing is, it's a, it's a fairly eclectic style, really. You know, Bridgerton versus The Boys, for instance. You know, So you've got to take each series on its own kind of strengths from that. And I think it's fair to say that whilst we didn't see him with his helmet off for much of the, the series, I think Pedro Pascal's performance in the last chapter of season two as Dinjarin was one of his strongest performances he definitely has a, a, a good shout for the best actor and also I think uh, Giancarlo Esposito does as well because I think you know sometimes you can only get great performances out of a good guy when you've got an equally good if not better bad guy and also with Ming, Ming Narwen she's definitely a favourite and she's kind of popping up in all sorts of stuff so yeah she's one whose career seems to be really lifting off again after quite a few years so that's fantastic yeah I mean she spent all those years in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and has been in all sorts sorts of other stuff but yeah you're right she, she's hit a real purple patch now with the mandalorian voicing the same character in bad batch in that lineup she's against gillian anderson i think who won the golden globe yeah for, for playing um, i've got thatcher in the crown so that's a tough one and like i say the best actor category pedro's up against anthony mackie for falcon winter soldier great performance joshua connor in the crown again another awards winner previously carl urban i absolutely adore the boys i can't get yeah, enough of that show it's great, so, isn't it? and renny jean page for bridgerton again a fantastic performance so i think it's going to be a close call on all of them but fingers crossed mando walks away with some gold yeah it works in favor of star wars just generally because i think you know it gives confidence to the creatives and the execs and stuff that actually they are really producing tv that is 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 sellable and and watchable but also is um of a high quality that it's going to get from awards which is uh sometimes yeah. almost equally as important yeah it does it validates it validates the disney plus project doesn't it because just in that category alone you've got two from netflix two from disney plus one from amazon prime you know they're the big players now good luck to the mandalorian Hi, I'm Simon Paisley Day. I play General Quinn in Star Wars 9. You're listening to Santa Tracks. With Star Wars Visions expected to be released into the galaxy by the end of September, it's a perfect time for, you guessed it, some book tie-ins. Star Wars Ronin, a Visions novel, is set to be released on October the 12th, and this week, Stars.com, as well as Fanfatracks, had the inside scoop on what could be expected from the story with a synopsis and first peek at the book cover. 
the book penned by Emma Candon will expand upon the world that we're going to start to see from one of the animated shorts in Visions, which is The Jewel. And it's meant to tell the story about a former unnamed Sith known as Ronin, which from the Japanese basically translates into a wandering masterless samurai, basically as he wanders around the galaxy. So the brief outline starts as this. The Jedi are the most loyal servants of the Empire. Two decades ago, Jedi clans clashed in a service of feuding lords. Sickened by this endless cycle, a sect of Jedi rebelled, seeking to control their own destiny and claim power into the service of no master. They called themselves the Sith. The Sith rebellion failed, succumbing to infighting and betrayal, and once rival lords unified to create an empire, but even an empire at peace is not free from violence. Far from the edge of Outer Rim, one former Sith wanders, unaccompanied by a faithful droid and the ghost of a less civilised age. I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by this because they've made it very clear. Yeah. As always, people, you know, oh, this isn't going to fit, this doesn't feel right, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's, it's not. It's, it's Star Wars tales. It's Elseworlds. It's, yeah. you know, it's it's... visions. It's whatever. It's, it's what if. You know, it's not actual Star Wars in the sense of it fits in with the continuity that we know from the movies. Of course, it's Star Wars. Of course, it's Star mm. Wars. But it's just Star Wars through a different filter. So I'm quite interested. I know there's been a lot of excitement about this. And I looked at it at first and thought, well, you know, I'm interested in Visions because it's going to give us a different spin. But initially, I thought Visions might actually be in continuity. Then they made it very clear that it's not. Then we saw the trailer last week and it's, you know, it's all these Japanese animation houses. So visually, it's going to look amazing. I think it could bring us something really interesting. And now we get this, which we knew was coming. It's just the proper announcement. One thing that I'm interested in is that obviously Star Wars, there's Western elements, there's thriller elements, there's political aspects in it, and there's obviously a lot of Japanese samurai influence in Star Wars as much as anything else. And, of course, the the samurai movies of the 50s were influenced by the American westerns of the 30s, so it all kind of feeds itself. But nevertheless, to see Star Wars in this style, and you look at that guy, and if you took the lightsaber away, it's well, it's a Ronin. The only thing there that is Star Wars is the lightsaber and the logo. That's interesting because that's going to give us a different spin. I think in the sense of, you know, you look at the original trilogy and it's a very 70s-style trilogy, and it's a very American trilogy. And then you go to the prequel era, and it's that very 30s formal, stately. Yeah. And you see the galaxy fall apart in that trilogy. And I know the Acolyte's going to show that, and the High Republic's kind of showing us that. But the prequel trilogy does give us a sense of things that the wheels are coming off the wagon sort of thing. Seeing it through this Star Wars Japanese lens, it's going to give us a whole different sensibility because the Japanese way of thinking is very different to the Western way of thinking. To see Star Wars through this lens could be really, really interesting. Speaking of the the artwork, it sounds like if we just literally judge a book by its cover, which obviously is not a great thing to always do, it looks very much like a Japanese period story. Something I believe they call like a Jidaki or something like that. I think that's how you pronounce okay. it, Jidaki. And, and the thing is with that is that there's, it is very folklore So there's lots of fantastical elements. Like you sometimes get monsters and dragons and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously there's lots of war. So from a brief synopsis, you know, they're talking about like, you know, warring clans and stuff like that, which again is something that isn't necessarily something we're used to in Star Wars, but it's something that's going to feel very akin to Star Wars and they're very clever because actually that artwork if you just look at it really quickly like you said you know if you remove a Star Wars logo and you swap the, the lightsaber blade out with a like a, a normal kind of like samurai sword blade then you'd yeah. think that actually yeah it's um, it's just a, a period piece but then actually if you look just behind his knee there's a, like a blaster cannon from possibly a ship or a cannon emplacement it could be something very subtle like that so I think in some respects the artwork kind of screams a little bit too literal but I think at the same time when you start to then dig into it a little bit I think we're going to feel right at home 
something that we can probably really get our teeth into. So, um, you know, and I think right now, new approaches to Star Wars is, is very exciting. And, and seeing how this whole Star Wars Vision uh, streaming series and the book pan out is really quite exciting because I think, you know, we could have an alternate timeline being created if we're going to keep it separate from the canon timeline and, and create, you know, alternate timelines and stuff like that in their own universe. I think this could almost be like a mini franchise within itself, which then, again, is is somewhere we can explore totally different ideas and completely massive what-if questions without feeling like, you know, we've got to trip over continuity and all this kind of stuff. So it's very exciting. Another way of looking at it is Journey to the Last Jedi. There was a book out called The Legends of Luke Skywalker written by Ken Lau. The book was was really interesting in respects that it was basically that. It was fables and, and myths of, of the character of Luke Skywalker. What happens with oral traditions when they're passed down from one person to another? Things can slightly get you know, distorted and they sometimes kind of get um, misremembered, even though the, some of the events were actually what we know in canon. There's also the potential that there there is a way that they could fold in some of these stories. So if the story of this uh, Sith Ronan, who's roaming around the galaxy, is really popular, it could become like a legend in the canon. I think there's potential that actually, even though direct timeline and continuity may be separate, there might be ways that they could actually fold in some of these characters into future projects. That would be the best outcome of this, if, like you say, if if this character in particular, because they seem to have hung the hat on this guy, if this character is so interesting and people really get behind it and all of that element works, and then they can go, well, okay, because it's not part of the actual continuity, it's just kind of based on Star Wars for the purposes of the story. We could set this 1,500 years before A New Hope, and this guy could be roaming the galaxy way back then, and that's the story that they want to tell and they want to work it in and, and it becomes part. I don't know. I mean, there's loads of options. I, yeah. I guess Disney and Delray and Marvel and all those guys want to spread their net as far as they can because they want to keep making books and comics and properties and stuff. Absolutely. And IPs yeah. within IPs. Like you said, it's like it's its own little mini area of Star Wars within Star Wars. And also, if it doesn't grab you, you're not missing out on the main story if you don't read it or buy it. Well, uh, Massively, exactly. And I think that's quite savvy. It doesn't feel like you you're forced to read it you know you take the high republic for instance it is now permeating into every aspect of the star wars timeline and if it's not grabbing you or those original characters aren't grabbing you you know you still feel slightly compelled and maybe like you've got you know one arm tied behind your back if you don't read some of these stories because you kind of a you feel like you may be missing out on something but also yeah then you don't know how things can necessarily connect. I know Rogue Squadron comes out in the cinema, there's like a, a High Republic Easter egg that goes completely over your head. Ultimately, I guess it's it's a it's an avenue and a way to spend money, isn't it? You know, to, to do something a little bit different, which I think gets people talking and, and gets, you know, the fan base excited. So I guess we just have to wait and see how it comes out in the wash. For everything in one location, daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video and social media feeds, bookmark fanthatracks.com for Star Wars news 24-7, 365. So this week we have a listener's question. It's coming from Scarif Podcast and it goes thusly. Star Wars will most likely go on for a very long time. I think there's no doubt about that. What type of news stories would you like to see created? And also, do you think Star Wars streaming is the way to go with these larger-than-life story arcs where you can spend a bit more time fleshing out characters and stories? Hashtag, that's the scuttlebutt. So, Mark, (laughs) 
we have talked about this kind of topic before on the show. We have discussed these kind of things. But time moves on and new projects come along and maybe your point of view has changed. So what new types of stories would you like to see created? We've just talked about Ronin, which mm. again is a, is a fresh take on Star Wars within the wider realms of, of Star Wars itself. What other kind of stuff would you like to see? Good Star Wars. Basically, mm-hmm. I want to feel like when I'm sat down watching this is that the stories mean something and actually it does feel connected and there's a consequence to characters' actions. I don't necessarily just want to feel like Star Wars needs to be like big, massive, operatic movements all the time. And I do quite like the, the idea of you know focusing in on specific characters, um, which is one reason why I think I'm so excited for the book of Boba Fett and Kenobi and, and Andor, because it certainly has that feel and, and hopeful vibe about it that actually we're going to kind of learn more about specific characters. One of the things that is, is, is going to scratch my itch hopefully will be Rose Squadron, because I think it would be great to get some kind of pilot-orientated series. But I'm still desperate to learn more about what Luke Skywalker and all those characters were doing after Return of the Jedi, but before The Force Awakens. I'm desperate to get more of that era fleshed out with those characters rather than necessarily you know, adjacent stories like The Mandalorian. Well, given that, then let's talk about the post-Jedi Luke story. Would you like to see that as live action recast with the new actor playing Luke? Or would you like to see it as an animation or is there no preference? Yes, that's a good question. Animation would be interesting because then yeah, you just get Mark Hamill to voice it. And we know Mark Hamill is like one of the best voice actors in the business. So that yeah. would be interesting. I would probably prefer that maybe than a recasting. I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because like, you know, I think we all accepted Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo when he was recast for Solo. I don't think the technology and the, the, the budget is there to support a full, let's say, eight or ten episode Luke Skywalker series and do the de-aging that they did for The Mandalorian. And also it, it kind of starts to feel a bit disingenuous because actually, like with the action fights, it wasn't Mark Hamill really doing, you know, the lightsaber fighting yeah. and stuff like that, which is fair enough because he's he's older and I'm sure he didn't have actually a huge amount of notice to train and, and do all that kind of stuff for that episode. I would be just interested in seeing Mark Hamill just do more Luke in whatever format is. But live action on Disney Plus or an animated series on Disney Plus would probably be my preference. It can be something that could be a little bit of a slow burn. I mean, could you imagine if we had 10 or 12 episodes that really explored that dynamics between Luke and Leia and Han maybe and Ben Solo and and kind of really get into that, the, you know, the crux of like, you know, how Snoke really kind of got into his head to the point whereby Luke has absolutely no hope in, in redeeming him and feels like the compulsion is to end his life rather than try and redeem him. So I would love to see all that kind of stuff play out. I'd still love to see some real heavy politics of Star Wars. I'd like to see the back channels of the Rebel Alliance being formed on Coruscant at the Senate around about the time of Revenge of the Sith. So even maybe, again, a bit like with Bad Batch, covering the events of Revenge of the Sith, but seeing it from a different angle and seeing how that develops as the Galactic Empire evolves and the Rebel Alliance grows and kind of becomes bigger. How about you, buddy? Have you got an itch that you want them to scratch? I'd like a political show. I think there's room for a political show showing the rise of Palpatine, uh, sort of a House of Cards type show, West Wing type show, you know, the machinations behind the power in the Senate. I think there's something there with all the other stuff floating around it because you're folding in the Jedi and all the, all the other aspects. I don't know whether that would be better as a live action or an animated show. I'm really not sure. I definitely want to see more of Han Solo because I love the underworld. So I think there's there's definitely adventures to tell there. And you could really have some fun there because you're folding in lots of bounty hunter characters, lots of other smuggler characters, underworld characters, going to Jabba's Palace, you're going to 
see all these other sort of underworld characters around the galaxy. So there's definitely stories to tell there. I would like to see, like you do, more of a filling of the era between Jedi and Force Awakens because that's 32 years and there's a lot of stuff. Okay, we've got Mando in there now, but I kind of almost expected, and maybe season three will go there, but season one and two felt very focused upon the story of Mando and Grogu. And Mm. I thought Bad Batch would be very, very focused on the story of the Bad Batch. And already in the first 10 episodes, we're going to talk about episode 11 in a minute, but the first 10 episodes has really shown us a lot more of what's going on around the galaxy than Mandalorian has, of what's happening around the galaxy in its time which has really quite surprised me and impressed me. And I'm hoping Mando shows us a little bit more of what's going on in a broader sense in the galaxy. So I'd like to see that. I do think there's opportunities, like I said earlier, in relation to Ronin, to go back in time and going back to an old Republic era, going back a few thousand years. That could be interesting. There's lots of opportunities. And to Scarif Podcast point, I think doing it on Disney Plus works better because, you know, Mando gets eight episodes. I'm assuming Fett's going to get about the same. Bad Batch got 16 episodes for season one. We've still got five episodes to go. So if you do it as an animation, you really are. It's a third of the year. A third of the year is taken week on week. People are getting excited for the next episode of this show. There's potential there. And really dig into the detail and the intricacies of what's been set up because a lot of what's been set up was there in the films and and the existing TV shows anyway. And then there's everything that they've added onto that since 2014. And now you've really got a sweet spot of characters and plots all coming together that could really be building something very special here. So that's what I'd like to see. Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith, Star Wars fan, Tracks fan. You may remember that by the end of last week's episode of The Bad Batch, Clone Force 99 found themselves rescuing a former Separatist Senator, and of course Omega paid off the squad's debt to Sid via a series of Dejaric games. So because of all that running and gunning, it appears the show creators have opted for the crew to take the week off and sit this one out, which in that case opened the door for a fantastic side trip to Ryloth, and you could say an origin story for Captain of the Ghost, Hera Syndulla, with Vanessa Marshall reprising her role. So, like last week's episode, the show opens with a large crowd gathering to hear what the blossoming Galactic Empire will mean to Ryloth and its inhabitants. And what follows is a fantastic story about Hera's dad, Sham Syndulla, realising that whilst the war against the Trade Federation's battle droids is over, Ryloth is far from free. So a bit of a sidestep for what we've come to expect from the Bad Batch so far in this season. Were you pleasantly surprised by this? I was really impressed because it was so not what I was expecting. I was not expecting an episode of the show to relegate, not in a bad way either, relegate Clone Force 99 to being a cameo appearance in their own TV show. Yeah. You know, yeah, we're heading down to Ryloth now. We're moving around the galaxy again, which is always great. You know, seeing some of the results of the Empire's expansion throughout the galaxy. Ryloth's always had issues in the past. We saw that in the Clone Wars. They're a planet that doesn't like to be subjugated. They want to be free. The Emperor's come along and Cham Syndulla is basically saying, he's doing the old John Lennon, isn't he? He's saying, give peace a chance. You know, we've just fought a three-year war. Let's give these people an opportunity to do what they've said they're going to do. Let's just calm it down. Give this a chance to work. He's number two. Gobi is very sort of reticent. You can see the Empire have got their eye on him. Admiral Rampart's there again, obviously trying to impress Tarkin and, you know, be the up-and-comer that he is. And there's already an, Empire, an Admiral, so he's, he's pretty high at the ranks anyway. <laughs> yeah, he's but doing pretty well. He's doing pretty well. Got his subscription agenda. Let's take these key planets, you know, Ryloth's in the key part of the galaxy. And it, we're at, like, episode 11 of season one, so it's an interesting time to pick a story yeah. like this because it feels like it's a turning point in the season. I think the last five episodes will play off this 
and last week's episode off common ground because that was kind of similar. Got a planetary governor who's a, who's a separatist in that instance, who's got the empire rather sitting on his shoulder, waiting for him to say what he's been told to say and just can't bring himself to say it. And he escapes. So in this episode, it's Cham and Eleni who are in a kind of a similar situation. They don't escape. So it just feels like this thing's starting to build already. This seeds of rebellion type feel is starting to build already. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one thing that I was quite surprised about this series is just how much there seems to be quite a heavy focus on that burgeoning rebellion. We're using the, the Bad Batch as a vehicle to get glimpses of the galaxy. And, you know, like they're floating down a river, let's say they're floating down the Amazon. You've seen all these little tributary other rivers join the Amazon. They kind of just flipped off just to have a, a quick adventure down that other river. And they kind of come back to the mainstream yeah. and they kind of carry on. And it's everything is kind of seeding the Rebel Alliance. Everything that they're doing, you kind of think, well, you know, the um, planet last week and maybe the senator's then going to basically, you know, he's going to maybe fund the Rebel Alliance or something, you know. So it's, and obviously we you know that whilst the Twi'leks and the free ride-off movement isn't necessarily part of a rebel alliance per no. se they fight alongside them and obviously we know what hero goes on to in that so I and mean, then again you know speak of like rebels and stuff and we've had Saul Guerrero and all that and every time you know they come up against somebody they, they find that actually they're already being repressed and, and downtrodden by the empire it's like the empire's effect seems to be you know fairly swift in its uh, making and we know that from expanded universe and I think even from canon that the Twi'leks on Ryloth they kind of stay neutral but they are also occupied for, for the whole time of the Empire's in operation. What I really liked was how much it focuses on a, on a young Hera because Hera is one of those characters that we already see from Rebels is fighting the, the good fight. You know, she's already got the ghost and, you know, she's kind of like working her way into creating those rebel cells and stuff so actually to kind of go back this early and actually see her as I don't know what how old do you reckon she was 15 maybe not even that I'd be interested to see like what people's thoughts are online as as to how it kind of landed for audience members who have just started watching Star's animation with the Bad Batch and have not watched any Clone Wars and Rebels because obviously for, for us who have been fans of like animation with Star Wars since beginning of the Clone Wars if not earlier we kind of know and are familiar with these characters so just to kind of have them spend so much time with hearing that it sets up a pathway for people to kind of then pick up with Star Wars Rebels if they want to know more about it so it's it's quite clever storytelling in that respect yeah it is and also I think there'll probably be a lot of people watching the Bad Batch who either haven't seen or aren't aware of Rebels they may watch that episode and see this young character called Hera and think nothing more of her because they might not be aware of her wider history a little bit of digging on Disney Plus I go hang on there's a whole TV series about this character. There's like four yeah. seasons. And so that's a smart move from Disney. We've had a lot of inverted commas guest star appearances in Bad Batch. Pretty much every episode pulls in somebody we're familiar with and, yeah. and know. And now they do it with Hera, who I don't think anybody would have expected. I don't think anybody saw that coming. And, no. and here we are, what? When's Rebel set? Five years before Star Wars? Yeah. So we're, yeah, we're sort much. of. 14 years away from the start of Rebels, give or take. I think New Dawn was a little bit before that, the novel. Mm-hmm. But you're still a significant amount of time. And here is not that old as a cat. I think here is only in a mid-20s, mid to late 20s. So maybe you're working on those numbers. You've got to say here is 11 or 12 here, I'd say. About the yeah. same age as, as, as Omega. They start to fold in these elements that are looking forward as well. The show felt like a Clone Wars episode because of the whole yeah. Ryloth thing. There was that big Ryloth arc quite early on in, in Clone Wars, wasn't it? Mm. You're really way back. But we're also looking forward now. So I've just done the review for Starburst, and I said in that review, you know, maybe maybe now with Andor coming, you'll see young Cassian, because we know he's been in this world since he was six years old, you know. So you well, could exactly. see him. 
as a yeah. as a kid. You could see Han and, and Kira on Corellia because for whatever reason they go to Corellia, that would tie in with War of the Bounty Hunters. It just feels like they're tying all these little threads, be they comic, be they novel or other TV shows. This is the synergy I think they dreamt of when they started it all off. And there's yeah. been wobbles. And there is one big wobble. You're more familiar with it than me because you've read the book. But Becca Benjamin mentioned it in her review, which will be on Fantha by the time you listen to this episode. Orn Tar. Yeah, so Orn Tar is a, is a character who's kind of been around really since the Phantom Menace in the Senate. You know, he's always had his own interests ahead of his own planet, which is Ryloth. And so he was basically the embodiment of that kind of Senate corruption, really. He's one of the prime examples. He basically appears in in a book by Paul S. Kemp, like which is set like 14 years before the Battle of Yavin, so um, six or seven years after Bad Batch, and he's obviously clearly alive. So obviously there's a big question mark over whether or not he's, he survives the headshot that Crosshair so expertly gives him, or whether or not there's been a bit of a, a rather large cannon blip again, and that they've just killed off a character that uh, has a fairly kind of like important part to play in in a book, which is a uh, part of the, the first real kind of wave of uh, new canon Star Wars books, which came out in like 2015. Bit of an interesting one. I don't think there's any kind of uh, official kind of confirmation, unless, of course, it, we just accept and, and are to take that because he does appear in uh, Lords of the Sith, that actually he does survive. But it seemed like a fairly definitive headshot, really, I think, you know. It did. Uh, which, which is pretty graphic as well for for bad batch considering we've had like two or three episodes of people just being stunned left right and center to then suddenly get a headshot like that was kind of a bit out of the blue yeah very true i mean it would fit the empire's plans to set up Chamsindullah at the end of the episode the yeah. way they did it would it's just the perfect setup i mean this is surrounded anyway so we can't escape but it's, you know it's, yeah you've got me sort of thing but it's an easy retcon they can retcon whatever they want so yeah for the moment it looks like on is dead as it goes i think he's like you say, he's probably not. Uh, they've probably got other uses for him. And then you move forward, what, six years to Lords of the Sith, and there he is. Hello, Panther Tracks, Panther Tracks. I screwed it up. Hi, Panther Tracks. Just the whole thought of the episode not having the Bad Batch at the core of it. So when you saw the Batch, especially Omega, it felt really fresh and, and interesting, that moment mm. on the on the yeah. Ryloth moon, which I've got to say, the visuals, that whole Stunning. sequence were yeah. amazing. Gobigli's ship. If they don't make a model of that, someone wants kicking because that ship was, oh man, I love that design. There's just a whole yeah. mixture of elements about that ship, just looked amazing. New character that came in, I want to ask you your thoughts. Captain Hauser, rather. Captain Hauser. Hauser. What did you make of him? Because he seemed to me quite reticent to go against what Cham was wanting to do, but was giving them the benefit of the doubt, you know, and here he gets caught going, snooping around where she shouldn't. Yeah. Did he so feel to you like a guy that had his chip pulled out or what? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know about that, but I think it felt to me like he really had spent a lot of time on Ryloth. Yeah. He's probably been there for like a long period of the Clone Wars and obviously knows the Sindulas pretty well. So I think he had that duty versus family conflict going on. And I was kind of expecting near the end for him to to maybe make a turn, which is a shame because actually I really liked his armour. Had a, He didn't have like the blue, the Royal Navy blue kind of of like the 501st and Captain Rex, but it was a nice teal colour. I don't know, it just worked really well. And I was like, oh, that's a really nice colour. There's more prominence to him than just a generic clone commander because they could have put any 
Clone Commander in it. So the fact that they made him a character might suggest that actually he's going to be a recurring character that we're going to see for the second half of the season. And maybe even this whole weapons runs to Ryloth might be a main story theme for this back end of the season. It's also quite interesting to kind of find that actually Sid is basically becoming like, you know, she's like the quark of, uh, um, yes. like, of a bad batch kind of like, universe. <laughs> that is exa- honestly, that was my next point was I was going to say, Sid, isn't she like the quark of bad batch? Because he was selling arms to anyone who would put a finger in the trigger. And here we've got Sid selling weapons to a Ryloth revolutionary group. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, really am. But, I mean, at the same time, I think what was quite good was actually, and I think where the Bad Batch appearance in this episode works really well, is the fact that actually they're like, you know, have you really thought this through before you kind of like start building your your arsenal? You know, do you really know what you're getting yourselves into? But the Twi'leks are kind of slightly blinded by the um, the fact that, you know, they got one over on the, the battle droids and the Trade Federation and, and, you know, the Separatists and stuff. But I think the Empire is a completely different beast. And I think by them potentially assassinating or just even taking a shot at the planet's senator kind of shows that they're not willing to just kind of be dicked around and they're going to kind of probably put their you know the hammer down pretty quickly it should anything try to rise up you know it's a big gamble by the twi'leks for them to kind of just start doing that straight away yeah it is and also given the point of time where we're at and one thing that surprises me actually just as a slight aside is that i thought by now we might have seen the emperor again i thought we might have seen vader again just to give a more of a framework to where things are going with the Emperor's plans to sort of take the whole galaxy under the Imperial banner, even though it's all, or most of it's under the Republic banner, and it's just a switch of ownership. So it's got going from, you know, red to blue. It's way more than that. So as we said last week, a Separatist in the Republic era and the Separatist in the Imperial era is a different thing. And now with Cham trying to play Peacemaker and trying to calm things down, I think he's looking at the bigger picture of, I kind of know what this empire is about. We don't know how many weeks past Revenge of the Sith we are. You've got to assume we're a few weeks past Revenge of the Sith now. Not not that far, because they do seem fairly linear, don't they, these episodes to this point? Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. You know, you could probably say oh, it's probably a, you know, a month or so, or maybe a bit more. I don't know. But Cham, as a leader, he's the charismatic one. All three Tars, the senator, but Cham's the charismatic guy, can see that this empire's, they're not there to make friendly. They're there to give their dictats and follow it or else. And we saw that last week in Common Ground. And mm. and again, we get a kind of a similar episode here with Devil's Deal, but interesting time to place this episode. It really makes me wonder what we've got coming up over the next five weeks. Big thank you to the Scarif podcast for sending in that question. That was good fun having a little bit of chat about that. And hopefully we'll continue to chat about more stuff about Star Wars next week and in the coming weeks. So a big thank you if you've made it this far. We really do appreciate you guys listening. And of course, just remember that everything that we put out on the Fan for Tracks network, so all the podcasts, Good Morning Tatooine, everything is completely free. There's no Patreon, there's no subscription charge. It's all free. It's all for the love of Star Wars and for the love of you guys. Um, so enough of all the hard sales as we say time time again we love reading your questions but in case you're new to the show and you don't actually know how to get in touch um, mark obviously can give you all the details to those few people still listening yes i can do that if you want to be a part of the action and stay updated on all the latest star wars news visit fanthatracks.com or check out the free free <laughs> 
Add the Tracks app through the App Store to follow us on your mobile device. You can reach out to us and send in all listeners' questions by emailing radio at fantatracks.com. So as Mark just said, thanks to Scarif Podcast for this week's question. We have a question for episode 100. We've got nothing for anything after that, so pile in your questions. I'll put out a tweet later on requesting more questions, so send them in. As you know, we'll talk about anything, as long as it's Star Wars related, but even not sometimes. Comment, like and share on any of our social media feeds at Fantatrax and be sure to subscribe, leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcatcher or smart speaker of choice. And as always, thanks to James Semple for composing the Fantatrax intro, Adam O'Brien for our Making Tracks Only music, and Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall, star of this week's episode of The Bad Batch, no less, for our voiceovers. Remember, tune in to our weekly Fantatrax news show, Good Morning Tatooine, live Sunday evenings at 9pm UK time 4pm Eastern and 1pm Pacific on Facebook and YouTube there was not an episode this week because believe it or not the football was on so we didn't do an episode of GNT <laughs> this week but there will be one next week thanks for that buddy you look after yourself take care this week and no more hospital visits please no, no or curries no. or, or curries yeah at least for now maybe later <laughs> thank you very much for listening you take care remember as always wear a mask get vaccinated if you haven't And may the force be with you. Coming up next on Fanta Tracks Radio, it's another episode of Making Tracks.